That's the world's greatest, the best of the best The cream of the crop can learn the best Kiss from the top and when you're done Come join the family Come join the team Come join the family It's music, jobs and it's D-Y-E Come join the family Okay, so welcome to At The Yard Podcast here at Tar Yard Studios, a collaboration between us, UK Music Jobs, and... Tar Yard Education. How you doing, Lucy? I'm doing all right, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Episode two of season three is a go. It's a go. Here we are. Yeah. You had a good week? Not a bad week. Busy. Busy. I'm happy to be here with you, though, and especially because we've got a very special guest in the studio with us today. We have Sister Bliss with us. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you very much. Yes. Good, good, good. You've had a long day today. I have had a long day. So we do appreciate you taking the time to come and see us. But it's... a really fun day, I have to qualify. Um, I did my first full teaching module on the <gasps> master's course. Amazing. And, uh, and I, well, I hope that people enjoyed it. I basically racked my brains for pretty much everything I've done in the musical field. So <laughs> it's quite fresh in my mind. How many hours so, did that take you? Um, a little while. Because <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night a few times. Oh, with, with Must kind of idea. Yeah, exactly. Because it's all useful knowledge because these guys are hopefully going to go on and work in the music industry. <laughs> and I wanted to give them a really full picture of what to expect. Um, and this particular module was writing to a brief. So it was all about writing for film, TV, theatre, advertising, things that I've done a little bit of everything yeah yeah and which yeah. surprised me as much as yeah. anyone is it like years, quite honestly was it like this is your life going through it all you're like oh <laughs> i did was. that and i did that and yeah, yeah. did you have you loads know, of revelations i've forgotten mm. yeah. um i don't know if i had revelations as such it's just actually when you collate the information you think well i have done more than i thought i had mm. yeah um because sometimes it feels quite random and disparate mm. but when you kind of draw it all together um, to present to other people, then you can kind of see the common threads weaving through it, yeah. and how all my musical experiences have come to to bear on other musical experiences outside of Faithless, which of course is is probably what I'm most known for yeah. Yeah, in the musical world. It's crazy as well, isn't it? Because you know, doing the research for this episode and reading up about you. You've done so much, as you were oh, just mentioning there. Yeah, with, you do everything. It's yeah, incredible. soundtracks. You're obviously a music producer. Um, and I think people know you mainly for Faithless, but they don't always get to see that other side of you. So is it weird having to sort of explain it all? Because, you know, you do, as you say, you, you're sort of doing a bit of everything, aren't you? Um, no, it's not weird to explain it, actually. I, I feel it's it's quite clear in my mind. Mm. But once I wrote things down and made notes and then I could organise them into you know organize my thoughts basically yeah. um, and then all the experiences kind of started to to file into my brain <laughs> and it, it made some kind of sense well I mean I have to say you'd ask ask the students if yeah. it made sense <laughs> to them but I hope I kind of presented my experiences in a way that were relatable yeah and and useful really yeah. like this is what happens in the real world if you get asked to write for a brief because I think you can go on a course and you can be fed all sorts of information but Things that stick in your mind can sometimes be the anecdote, something that's really personal to the person who's who's actually done that particular role, mm. whether it's playing live or, or writing a film soundtrack um, and the conversations that you have around it. I think a lot of people come into music and they think it's just going to be them sitting very isolated in a studio and they don't realise actually working in the world of music and having some kind of longevity, you... You interact with a lot of people, whether it's tour managers, production managers, road crew, mm. film directors, editors, music supervisors, um, marketing people, brand relationships. 
if your music has some kind of, you know, currency and maybe you become successful, these are all the things that, all the paths that sometimes you can go on without even intending to. I never intended to write music for film and TV, but I just got asked as a kind of happenstance. Yeah. <laughs> so it's become another string to my bow, if you like. I found I could do it and... Um, and the more you do, the more confident you become. Yeah, I feel like so this it's, could it's be a lovely the... thing to do alongside making music with a band as well. And I think a lot of artists do it. Like you know, Nick Cave, PJ Harvey, Johnny yes. Greenwood from Radiohead. There's a lot of people who've been in a band, and when the band is between albums, this is a really good time to get your soundtrack chops well, together. Nick Cave's yeah. writing films now well, as well. Exactly, so are yes, you planning exactly. on doing a screenplay next? <laughs> oh, is, that the... gosh, is that another string? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough hours in the day. Yes, uh, stories of a. Uh, Female DJ slash producer. Oh, we need the that. movie. Well, that would be that would be something yeah. I would watch. I, I, feel, I feel like they could. This could be the start of a biography as well. I mean, you know, collating all of your sort of last however many years in the industry and putting it all together. Ooh. Is that something that you do? Well, weirdly, actually, we did a um, on our last album a faithless coffee table book. You know, it's really special, like for a super fan. It's a big artifact, which had sort of limited edition vinyl. And it was a little bit about our story. So we did go down the slight biography path. We were mm. interviewed by a proper journalist and writer who collated myself, Maxi, who's our main frontman rapper, and Rollo's kind of experiences, you know, this, this crazy journey that we've had. So there is actually a book of it. Uh, yours for a hundred pounds and Amazon. signed probably as well i okay. mean there's very few of them as i say it's limited edition but it's the sort of thing i want to keep and show the grandchildren I'm yeah gonna... yeah it's a fantastic thing Total, to have, isn't yeah. it i mean yeah. you you mentioned they're faithless and and your career as a band was extraordinary i mean you've had multiple number one albums 15 million records sold you've played every major festival it's been huge i wanted to sort of go back to the beginning of all of that though at what point would you say that you felt the band had broken through in some way was it chart success was it playing a gig yeah live gig hmm. um because it was all so chaotic as well. We didn't have management back then. It was just a bunch of stoners hanging around. This, really was in the studio. We, we'd made this album, Rollo, myself and Maxi and, and assorted other uh, collaborators like Dido, for example, um, who's been on every album that we've ever done. Um, and we put a band together because we sold so few records and our radio pluggers were saying, we, we, just, we just can't get arrested. You know, there's people in the <laughs> dance music world who know you for Insomnia and Salvamia, the first two singles. First was actually Salvamia. Mm -hmm. And then we had a little bit of currency with dance people because Rollo and myself were a very successful remix team as Rollo and Sister Bliss throughout mm -hmm. the 90s. Mm -hmm. And we remixed several number one records. Um, so we had a bit of currency, but to, to get Faithless as an album artist noticed, we had to put a band together and it really was just a bunch of reprobates who would <laughs> hang out yeah. with us, who happened to be brilliant musicians. I was going to say, who created so, collectively Exactly, but it was also Maxi was very definite he didn't want to do a live PA as a sort of hip hop MC yeah. he'd done little tours when it was just a DJ and a mixtape and him rapping or dat tape as it used to be in those days and him rapping over the top and he didn't want to do that so he was quite emphatic that he thought it should be live mm. and and so we really did cobble a band together for our very first gig which was at the Jazz Cafe in London <laughs> and as we were rehearsing for this um, the record was getting quite successful in Europe 
And it became quite a hot ticket. And I remember at the time, um, Sasha and Paul Oakenfold were outside two massive UK DJs. Basically, back in those days, a DJ could break the record or 12 DJs. You'd give it out and actually that would be some marker of the success that you might have, Mm -hmm. especially in the underground dance world. But if certain DJs were playing your track, it had a chance to get on the dance shows on the radio anyway so I remember us being upstairs and having to chuck their tickets out of the window and then sort of catching them (laughs) to get in so it was a hot little ticket in London but it was 400 people Mm. someone somewhere's got the video of it and I think it was utterly ramshackle we didn't all really fit on the stage Mm. there was 10 of us in the live band because we were trying to recreate electronic music in a live environment yeah because that was a massive learning curve yeah because I was going to say was the setup always what we ended up seeing or as it evolved it was always like that well we we pared it down to eight (laughs) which is still a massive massive band oh my god Mm, and trying to organize that is it sounds well it was i don't know how really we did it we also had a very a tour manager early on who was a disaster and (laughs) lost the band money um So it's really quite incredible we managed to get on any tour buses and get to any festivals (laughs) and do anything at all, really. But the first time we felt we had some, I don't know, some kind of cohesion as a band, we played a a huge gig in Germany. Um, I think, yeah, it was Insomnia kept going up and up and up the charts and we booked a tour on the back of that jazz cafe gig, but it was small venues, sort of 400, mm. 500 seaters. As the record went up the charts, they're like, no, we must change the venue, must play a thousand people, <laughs> the tickets are sold out already. So we ended up playing a huge gig with the Fugees in Baden-Baden in a Mercedes factory. Oh, wow. And it was to 5,000 people. Oh, and we'd only goodness. done a handful of gigs. I mean, it was insane, this kind of massive trajectory. And afterwards, um, a big radio station, I can't remember if it was SW3, um, there was another one, Rundfunk something. There were a few very key German radio stations, because Germany's a big country. Mm. Um, And they playlisted our record, and then they also recorded that gig, and they gave us a cassette. This is how long ago it was. (laughs) And we went back on the tour bus and played the cassette, and when we were listening to it, it was... We, we kind of sound quite good. <laughs> we might be it good was, at this music. It was thing. a little That's bit amazing. of an awakening, yeah, because when you're in it and in amongst it, you're so just trying to get everything flowing and right. And I don't think it would happen really now with one it. song, would it? Like in the current no. climate, I don't mm. think one song is enough now maybe to get an artist that kind of gig, you know, that kind of exposure. No, I wonder... well, we had an album, remember, so yes. it was promoting an album. Oh, so we had I an see. album's worth of songs. Yeah. I mean, in this world, currently, you can be a DJ and have one record and suddenly be headlining festivals. And mm. I think there's a very accelerated uh, kind of track now yeah. to main mm-hmm. stages and people don't have the, the experience, experience they probably need to mm. to hold those kind of crowds. But yeah. I would say that's much more in dance music. But people obviously didn't know what they were listening to, so we learnt very early on to put Insomnia early in the set. (laughs) And then they were like, oh, we have come to hear the right band because the music was not on our first album, went all over the place musically. It was quite rootsy. Some of it was almost ambient. Some of it was classical. Mm. There are only two out-and-out club records, which was Salva Mayer and Insomnia. So we used to play them twice, different, <laughs> different kind of versions, so people would remember that they'd come to the correct gig. You know, we had Dido singing this kind of trip-hop, chill-out song in the middle <laughs> of the set. So... How did the, you know, how did the um, was, audience uh, respond to the variety of, of all the different music? Well, back they sort of drank it all up. It became, I think, something that set us apart from 
other electronic acts. Yeah. And then the live band did become a real tour de force. You know, we had great singers in that band. We had women with amazing voices. Mm. You know, Dido went on after that first album to write her first album, mm-hmm. which became one of the biggest mm. selling debut artist albums of all time. Yeah. Um, and we had another singer called Pauline Taylor, who's an amazing, she does a lot of writing with Paolo Nattini. Mm. Um, but she had an amazing, big, soulful voice. So the two of them as sort of backing vocalists slash featured vocalists because they'd come forward and sing other songs. You know, it was quite a tour de force without realising it. I think we were, we were quite a funky outfit as well. Yeah. Our drummer was really funky. So half of our band was made up of Pauline's own backing band. She was one of the singers. And the other half were was from another singer, Jamie, who sang on the first album. They were his band back in the day. So it was two bands melded together. Wow. That's amazing. In one way. <laughs> yeah, and the initial thing. And then the, the lineup changed as the albums changed and people had different commitments. Do you know what I remembered about you guys though? Because I was saying to Lucy, I saw you at the Isle of Wight Festival in 2005. And one of the things that struck me was that a lot of the guys that I, w- I were with or the, were sort of into indie music and more guitar-based music. But of all the dance acts that were performing, they wanted to see you. And I always felt like with Faithless, because of that musicianship and because you had that variety of people in your band, it bridged the gap between dance and Indian alternative styles of music. Did you realise that at the time? Uh, No, it was more about how do we create the live, you know, how do we recreate the record without doing that sort of boring note for note? It's just like the album. How do we make Mm. an experience that's visceral and in the moment? Mm. And that was about kind of stripping it back. But... We did, yeah, you're right. We, it, it was sort of accidental in a way. I mean, I think for to my mind, there was something that was very uh, belittled about the dance music scene that two people and a laptop on stage is not a live show. And we came on with a full live band and people could understand that musical language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we did massive rock festivals with like Limp Biscuit and Tool <laughs> and people like that, and I'd be just so anxious. But Maxi would turn up his sort of Buddhist anarchist punk vibe and our sound engineer, sound engineer would just crank up the drums and the guitars. So it was just pulverising. It was as heavy as any rock band. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... If we didn't have live musicians, maybe we wouldn't have had that flexibility. So we became one of the bands like Prodigy that could play a main stage at a festival and not be a disgrace because it's <laughs> just some lame bloke up there with a USB stick. But of course now the, the game has changed and of course you get dance music artists who can be a main stage act yeah. because they've put a lot of pyrotechnics around them <laughs> and they have massive songs that the crowds will know because uh, dance music's become very current on the radio globally mm-hmm. so you have tune recognition of back catalogue of music with certain people that have been going a long time in the genre and so on but I still feel as a live band what we did was very special and quite unique mm-hmm. and it certainly wasn't redoing the album note for note which used to confuse people because they'd want to know when to sing the chorus <laughs> or shout the lyrics back to you and we'd change the arrangement like every year every time we went on tour to keep it fresh we'd kind of remix our own music yeah which is extraordinary because you if you see the same act time and time again it normally is exactly how it is on the record or how they performed it before mainly because of the logistics mm-hmm. so for you to sort of rework that every time as a real fan they should have appreciated it and I'm sure they did 
Oh, thank you. I hope they did. Well, otherwise, we, we would have been bored since. Well, yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I was going to say. Because people don't see how much you're touring, do they? They don't see how many gigs yeah, you're doing. No. And having to do that same thing over and over again when you're a creative person is, I imagine, quite tedious after a while. Yeah, nothing yeah. tedious about the crowds. I mean, for me, the more we play live, the better we get, the more honed. It's like a well-oiled machine. It just gets more and more exciting. And then you know it so well because you, you start freeing up, actually. Mm. When you play the music over and over again, then so some little improvisations come in. Like, oh my god what did he just do on the drums that was amazing <laughs> that sound you made on the guitar last night can you do that again tonight so things aren't static there are other yeah. bands that are and i have a friend who played for madonna you know if it wasn't the exact same notes that was on night one night after night she would go absolutely ballistic <laughs> oh, there was wow. no room the show was the show and that was it yeah so faithless is not an improvisational act but there was a little room for ebb and flow and also because we'd done for six or seven albums we had a we have music to choose from, so we could change up the set list. And of course, when you book festivals, you don't get the sort of two hours to kind of mm -hmm. get very expansive. You have to compress your set into a much smaller time period. Yeah. Festival sets are always shorter, even mm. when you're the headline. Yeah. And they're subject to curfews and massive fines if you don't get off stage. <laughs> a pointed minute, you know, people come on. <laughs> Cut the music, you're running over. <laughs> What would you say is like the most standout sort of um, live show that you've done that really stands to your memory as being sort of the the moment that, you know, you just, the highlight basically? Mm, I don't think there is one moment. There are many, many, many moments. I mean, I find Glastonbury quite spiritual. Yes. <laughs> because it's the first festival I ever went to as a teenager <laughs> in 1987. So to be on stage there was very wow. profound for me and for us to kind of, move up the ranks from jazz world stage with not that many people in front of us because the, the World Cup always coincides with Glastonbury. <laughs> always. And if it's a big match, you can bet your bottom dollar that loads of people will be in a tent watching the football. <laughs> incredibly irritating. So, um, but Glastonbury over the years is very, very special. There's something about playing to a home crowd. It's the fact that it's Michael Evis's home. It's the fact that I've been there since I was a teenager on the youth CND bus. <laughs> um, and it was only 16 quid then. I can tell you things have changed. Quid. Yeah, it was. It's like a proper you holiday cheap, now. You didn't cheap get tickets this year, did you? No, no, I didn't get tickets this right year. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so it has a lot of resonance for me. And, I, and I've been back as a DJ away from Faithless, you know, playing a Faithless DJ set. And I felt very, very nervous about that. I felt it was very important because the last time we were there on Pyramid Stage, we've headlined it twice. Mm -hmm. Well, second mm -hmm. headlined it with Coldplay and Stevie Wonder. You know, two wow. absolutely enormous artists. And these are career-cementing or defining moments, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, as is staggering out of, I don't know, the rabbit hole at four in the morning <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> That's the benefit of going playing at Glastonbury is the fun you have. Do you get to stay show. for the whole weekend when you're headlining the main stage or do you just, you in and out? Different occasions, different times we've had other festivals we've had to get straight out. There's a curfew there as well. If you don't get the bus out by 3am, they lock the gates or 1am. It's something very irritating. <laughs> you could if, do it deliberately. Well, you often, couldn't even like, I'm going to stay. Well, this <laughs> is it. We, we have been at festivals and lost various band members. And like, where are you? You know, they're in a tent just having an amazing time with some <laughs> DJ but we have to leave so we've got a gig so, tomorrow yeah. <laughs> these are the day, the days tricky. before mobile phones as well just on a manhunt through Glastonbury yeah. <laughs> we did actually have a guitarist who refused to have a mobile phone <laughs> oh I mean punk ethic 
But it was extremely irritating and stressful because you're not just organising eight bands, you've got whatever it is, ten crew as well. And we're all catching flights or getting on buses together. And there are so many links in the chain. And if one of them is weak, the whole thing falls over. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So uh, <laughs> roaming guitarists. <laughs> there's that guitarist, they need mobiles. Does that guitarist friend have a mobile now? Because I had a friend that, that did that for a while for this Punk Ethic. This is a good question. She ended up getting one about five years later. But she held off for a while. Yeah, I mean, I held off, but my mum got very anxious because I was doing a lot of DJing and driving myself all around the UK and then she made me buy one because she didn't like to think of me on the motorway. <laughs> so she was I've got the same number since I've had since 94 that's when I got my first mobile wow. so I held off wow yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. How did we all find each other at I do Glastonbury know. or at the Rave? I mean, I found my first mobile boggles. phone at home, and it was like it was the size of a brick. It was a Motorola, and I remember having it Brilliant. sat on my desk in my first ever job in London, thinking, "Now looking at it, going, you would never carry that around. It's did, just did it need its own chair? It needed its own chair. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. It was like home phone, or you wrote letters. Yeah. My friends used to write to me. Oh, yeah. I used to have pen pals. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about um, your production side of things, um, working in the studio. And also, as Faithless, you were a collective, a band, and things were progressing. You were signed. You were doing all these festivals. How were the dynamics in the band? Because it'd be interesting to get your perspective on being a woman in the industry. Were you treated differently? Did you experience that? Oh, it's very hard to know because you can't go around asking people how they're treated. You you only have your experience. No, to I know, go but on. did you feel yeah. like you were being? I felt I feel so like I've been a bit of a warrior yeah. for dance music generally. Yeah, because as I say, it was often belittled in comparison to rock music or indie music. It was like the poor cousin. <laughs> so I felt quite belligerent that I wanted to fly the flag for what we did and what dance music does generally and yeah. it is a huge industry it's not a cottage industry anymore and it has you know tunes that are just as sophisticated and meaningful to people as, yeah. it, as anything in the canon of traditional rock and roll to yeah. my mind um in terms personally, it's very hard to know. I think I was definitely paid less than other DJs. I had massive hit records and it was only when I was out on the road and meeting and chatting to other DJs and they had a better hotel room than me. <laughs> Just think, subtle, little subtle why, nuances, yeah. yeah. How can, and, and another, I remember another year, they say, baby, you should have this room. Why don't you have the room with the thing? I said, oh, I'm fine in my little room. <laughs> no, it's about knowing your market value. And I think there was yeah. a period when I had a particular agent who, who I really liked, but wasn't really fighting for me and didn't have enough leverage. Now it's all very mechanised and professional mm. and agencies are, and promoters have very long-standing relationships. And there's, mm. you know, there's a mm. lot of negotiation that goes on if you have some sort of currencies and are and I feel there was a period when I wa I wasn't exploiting my currency. I was just so grateful to play. But Faithless were having enormous global hits. Yeah, and but I it's know the sort of for thing a fact I got paid less than male counterparts as a DJ. So you got to know I'm I'm a bit of an odd one. There aren't that many people that have done what I've done, which is being a band and DJed alongside it. But every time I'd go and do loads of Faithless stuff, the DJing would take perhaps more of a back seat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So perhaps that is something that therefore got devalued a little bit because there are some people that are just celebrated as DJs mm. and they've built up their mystique yeah. particularly and you know, sort of venerated and the music is sort of secondary to that I've had so way more records than a lot of these guys and they are mostly guys well that's what I was going to say I feel like but, men are less less apologetic about asking for what they think they're worth or their agents point. are or I've their got, agents I've got to say are. there's there's science behind that 
backing up, what, up exactly what you just said. Yeah, like yeah there, there I think it's ten- true. Being assertive yeah. is more difficult. You are, you know, there are many words for a woman that's assertive. You're a ball breaker. Yeah. <laughs> this, that, in Harridan. I mean, going back to Shakespearean times, the taming of the shrew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and you get accused of... of being hysterical and all this kind of and difficult and a yeah. diva and it's like no it's it's based purely on what you've achieved mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you and it's strange isn't it because you have these but I haven't done badly so I mean no, I don't want to done... sit here and complain at all but if no. you're yeah. asking me relatively I do know of certain in- instances where I'm doing the same show and I'm actually got a much bigger profile than the man playing before me or after me on stage and that their fee is double my fee and that did surprise and shock me and it actually triggered me into leaving and going the different agent who understood my market value at the time. Yeah, good for but you. I was very reluctant because I'm very loyal and I'd been with this agent for 10 years. So yeah. that's another thing. In the business also, loyalty counts for a lot sometimes when you care about people. It's mm. quite hard to be hard-nosed sometimes. But it is important mm. to have this conversation as well, especially with other artists that are in the same position because I think that's half the problem, isn't it? Is that if you your experience I suppose because Faithless at the time there wasn't that many um high-profile female DJs like yourself. So there wasn't many people to have a conversation with, I would imagine. So I guess it must have felt a little bit like, well, if I complain or I say something, I'm sort of out here on my own, you know, and Mm. then you've got to think about your career as well. So it's a very difficult balancing act, isn't it? And it's hard to be the brave one. It's easier if you have the conversation and then, you know. Well, really, really what you want is other people having that conversation on your behalf. And then you don't even have to go there. But then that's a whole other conversation about money and how hung up we are talking about it in this country, particularly. what we earn mm-hmm. why we earn it what we do to earn it mm-hmm. you know, and also how distorted it is because there's a lot of money swilling about in the music business and then you've got a lot of people who don't earn anything at all and work really 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 yeah. really hard so yeah. sometimes you think oh there's, there's no sort of there's no fairness in it sometimes yeah um you know, I was lucky that we sold records in a time when you could sell records now mm. we're in a different environment yeah. it's streaming but it's like selling objects we could count them and therefore understand what we were earning. So it was quite specific, you know, Mm. and it was just an accident of luck and fate that we did. Yeah, But there were lots of mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong. We didn't always (laughs) make the best record. We didn't always have the best record company. We didn't always make the the best choices. Um, But what I will say is fans and loyalty, people that have found something in your music and they stay with it. I mean, you know, God, am I blessed. I'm so thankful mm. that yeah. people have stayed the course with us and grown with us and yeah. their children have grown with us because we <laughs> we have you know again the live band was one of the big arms that could reach out and you know convey music mm. directly to people and we could see in their faces what they felt about it mm. yeah. you know it's quite a profound experience it's very different from making a record in a studio yeah. but you don't know how it's going to live and breathe in the outside world yeah I mean there's something very timeless I think about <coughs> about all the Faithless records um, I remember you know I, I listened to them generation you know above me my parents listened to them so yeah there's your parents are cool my parents <laughs> are cool <laughs> I hope my mum's listening she listens to all of these um, so I think what we might do is we might wrap up for a quick a quick break and just hear a little word from our sponsors uh, and when we come back we're going to go a little bit more into kind of Blissey and what she's up to now and find out a little bit about what to expect from Sister we'll be right back Tyler Art Education offer validated one year postgraduate MA programs and a suite of short courses that provide you with unrivaled learning from leading international practitioners based at Tylard London, the largest independent music community in Europe. Some of our MAs include Commercial Music Producer, Commercial Songwriting and Production, Commercial Music Producer Online, MA Design, 
MA International Music Marketing and MA Music Business. If you want any more information, just visit www.tylardeducation.co.uk or you can email me, jamie at tylardeducation.co.uk. Are you looking for the best music industry professionals to join your company? Well, why not post your job for free on UK Music Jobs? Simply register and submit your advert and they'll do the rest for you. You can manage all your applicants via their insight tools and the best part is it won't cost you a penny. Additionally, if you represent an artist, you run a music course, or you have a music industry event you want people to know about, why not submit the details for inclusion on the magazine? With a marketable database of over 60,000 subscribers and 300,000 unique visits per month, they can really help you find your audience. If you head on over to www.music-jobs.com uk, you can get more information. Hello and welcome. And we are back for our second part of um, At The Yard with the lovely Sister Bliss. Thanks for being with us, Sister. Are you having a good time? Yes, thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's been super insightful actually hearing about hearing about all of your kind of your experience in the industry because it's so vast and there's been so much of it. And, you know, me and Matt, we're, we're Faithless fans. So obviously this is really exciting oh, for thank us. Thank you. <laughs> blushing now. <laughs> blushing on the radio. <laughs> so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I mean, you are obviously... You're a new resident here at Tal Yard. So you've popped in and you've sort of been, you've got a studio here with us now, haven't you? I have, yeah. I moved in about three weeks ago now. So I'm very happy about that. And Tal Yard was the first, plus, pl- uh, the first place I thought of to come to because uh, the engineer who engineered our first Faithless album, Gertz, his studio is literally the other side of this wall. <laughs> and so I've been in here recording vocals and working with various people and also... Um, the very first person um, I made a tune with, Ben Langmaid, who's half of LaRue. Oh, yes, I Who is him. an Atal Yard aficionado, been here for a long time. He's not here now, but he popped in the other day to uh, be a guest at one of the lectures. So he still has ties here. Um, and I'd always heard about Tal Yard from Ben over mm-hmm. the years. And, you know, how it was growing and what a dynamic environment it was. And also I wanted to do more mentoring and see if I had something to contribute. Because I've done a few panels over the years about well, all sorts of different things, making videos, electronic music, women in music, <laughs> women in dance music. Um, Quite a range. So I felt I might have something to contribute. So um, I got in touch and they said, well, we do have a room coming up in January. And would you like to come and be a mentor for some master's students and would you like to do a module and I just thought that just sounds it's the perfect conflation of events for me because I feel actually when I think about it I do have a lot of experience in all sorts of different areas until I sort of sit down and think about it I forget all the things that I've done so it's been a very good exercise for me to collate it and make it useful for other people because there was none of this information or master's courses or even Ableton live courses or logic courses when we started making music you just learn as you went yeah it was totally different you know? wasn't it and by getting things really wrong and experimenting as well not really knowing how to use things is kind of how house music was born mm. for example yeah. yeah sometimes sometimes it's good i think to learn as well as you're going along right i think there's a lot of a lot to be said about just almost like going to room and just being purely creative and just seeing what comes of it yeah definitely but i think being here the whole point is to absorb music experiences try out different relationships find out who you are in music yeah Yeah. and i like that the students seem to be set lots of different exercises that will stretch them and you know they'll they'll, they might go out of their comfort zone and i think that's a really important thing to do and it's slightly different from just teaching music in a technical way it strikes me well i was gonna say that kind of mentoring from people like yourself and other people in the industry who are 
you know, who's who learn on the job, essentially. It's a great way to do it because it's not rigid and the creative process shouldn't be and mm. it can't be. And I think when it tries, when, when it's, when people try to box it in, it doesn't, I don't think, produce the right results, the mm. best results. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, again, with limitations, creativity can also come. I mean, I feel yeah, the more you know, true. the more you can play with. But mm. um, I read a great autobiography, actually, Tricky's autobiography recently. I really recommend it. What a crazy life he's had. <laughs> but his music making and how unique it was is because he didn't really know what he was doing in the studio and there were no rules and he was working within his own limitations. Mm. So coming somewhere like Tileyard could have affected it adversely. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you never can tell, but mm. obviously there are people who come here and they come from quite a lot of different disciplines yeah absolutely um, to yeah. do this master's course so it's it's a very interesting mix of people yeah, absolutely. so yeah i really enjoyed it today and i hope other people did as well. <laughs> well i've heard great feedback from our students and it's an absolute pleasure having you um come in and, and teach some of our students but alongside that i mean what inspired you to bring your studio here i'd like to hear about what's cooking up in in sister bliss's studio oh, at the well, moment well partly what inspired me was was the lack of inspiration i was having at home i work at home and i've got a studio at home and i've been working at home for a very long time and i just felt i needed to see people yeah. in different places. <laughs> my son is of an age where now he can come home and be a little bit on his own after school and i just felt the time was right he's 13 now that I don't always have to be at home when he gets home from school. And that mm. sounds ridiculously mundane, but I do juggle being a single mum with, with work. No, it's incredible. And world domination. <laughs> some, some, something's got to give. Um, Those are some pretty big jobs. Yeah. Yeah. But psychologically, for me, emotionally, I wanted to come to work and be in a professional environment. So yeah. my studio partner used to have a studio in Islington, but then he sold up and moved to Norfolk. So we, mm. I work a lot on my own. Then we get together maybe once every few weeks I pop up to Norfolk or he'll come to London mm. but it's not the same as just being in the flow make, being creative in the room with someone yeah and I always feel we make our best work that way yeah and then <clears> being <throat> part of this hub as well you know and, and it being introduced to all of these rising <clears throat> you know singer songwriters producers whatever opens a massive window of opportunity for them and also collaborations, potential collaborations for you, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear the songwriting camps are absolutely brilliant. I, I'm actually, I know it sounds ridiculous, I am quite shy. I have worked on my own for a very long time and I will sit in a room with people I've known for a very long time. And that sounds mad, like Dido, because I have known her <laughs> since the very beginning. And I know she's a multi, multi, multi-million selling artist, but we have this thing where we we need to be around family to sort of relax. Yeah. Um. So sometimes it's just as nerve-wracking for me being in the studio with, with a new artist, actually. So I'm tr sort of trying to push myself out of my comfort zone. And, you know, hopefully I, I am going to meet people here that will collaborate and do new tracks i'm already mentoring some people that seem very interesting and who knows that might be a great avenue for us to work together the great thing is i'm on site basically yeah but i am doing a new faithless album at the moment, so <laughs> oh is, there's uh, the drop before, is, uh, before we get into that i just wanted to ask you though because there's one thing before you started here at Tileyard that i've always really liked that you do is you always send a tweet out each week with your like a track or an artist that you really like and i've noticed you do that is it important to you to always sort of champion other artists is it something yeah. you're always paying mm. attention to too. Absolutely. Partly because I'm a DJ, I get sent a lot of music and I DJ well, mostly weekly. Mm. 
Um, and I feel I have to keep on top of it. I want to be part of the future, not just the past, you know? Yeah. And being on top of what's fresh and what's current is really important to me. Um, and it's inspiring. And I did have a record label, but that was my one area of, of, of enormous failing, I would say, <laughs> oh, just financially. It's yeah. really expensive. Really, hard, yeah. really expensive. I spent a lot of money on it. Mm. But I had to try it. Yeah. Because yeah. I started a record label 20 years ago and then Faithless got successful. So I only put out one release and then I returned to it and revamped it um, the last time we kind of put a pause on touring in 2011 mm. as a vehicle for my own music, but also to support new artists coming through and create a family. Um, but, you know, it costs 10 grand per track, basically. Crazy, that's what I found. No, but that's mad. true. I think to do with it everything, properly, I guess the to make a little video, changed. yeah. To promote it properly, to even get noticed, um, and maybe that just isn't my strength. So, and then we got really busy again and started touring, and I had to put it on the back burner. So, at the moment, I don't run a record label, but I did have a vehicle, which was for people that we thought were really talented. Because I got sent a lot of demos, so did Rollo. We'd get excited by something, think, well, if we produced it, we could actually finish it off and yeah. really make it and make it really a special. Going concern. Mm. So, yeah. we did get to work with quite a lot of really cool people. Uh, we we started a brand new project to put out on the label specifically, but it was one of those things where. It could be a bottomless pit. I needed investment and I didn't yeah. have time to go around to find it. What yeah. I would have liked to have done ideally was have the label be, you know, a satellite label for a bigger label and have funding for it. But it wasn't to be. Not yeah. everything can be a roaring success. <laughs> so there you go. It's all part of the um, big, the big journey. I was going to say, why well, it sounds like you've probably got enough things to be getting on with. So that was probably quite time consuming for you. It was, but it was enjoyable because I think what you put in, you get out. You yeah. know, if I'm putting energy into students, I, it's really enjoyable to see them getting something yeah. out of it or protégés or artists that I sign, you know, that need a bit of guidance. Mm. You know, if you put in... You, <laughs> Yeah, you, get, it you get back. It's very yeah. gratifying. Absolutely. Problem. Oh, that was the other thing. The other problem with putting a, a label together is we'd invest in certain artists and then they'd fall out with each other. Often they were studio <laughs> oh duo, duos. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, it happens a lot though, <laughs> Come it? on, guys. Yeah. We've done two tracks. <laughs> like, oh, we can't work together anymore. It's like, oh my gosh. They weren't very, there wasn't a lot of resilience I found. It's like, well, I've already invested 20 grand in you guys. Come on. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so that was another thing that was frustrating, was feeling we don't just want to do one single, we're investing in people because, you know, there's all these huge dance labels of electronic labels that, you know, can that can, can wave a big cheque in front of an artist. But we really wanted to develop artists so they had a proper body of work and grow with us, with the label. Yeah. Anyway. And that's that's no that's no shortcoming. I mean, that does cost a lot of money, and it does invest. You know, it's, it's very time consuming. I know people that. I mean, I'm thinking of Alex Bean, who set up th Thirteen. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. She does ventures. Thirty-seven ventures. Yeah, she she sort of does this exact thing, and I mean, that's her full time job because it is a full time job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, they got they they ended up being an imprint, didn't they? At, um, Sony and then exactly. Atlantic, so and so they, they had the funding. So it's like a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think we should probably wrap up in a minute, but yeah. I think before cool. we do, I would like to hear just a little bit more about this Faithless album that you dropped a second ago and tell us a bit more about what to expect when and uh, yeah, what to expect from you also. Are there any tour dates coming up? Um, well, I've got some festivals and stuff booked in the summer. At the moment, I'm just DJing um, and the album's going to be out on uh, BMG Records, which um, is a good home for it. 
at the moment. It seems they've let us have complete artistic control, but I guess we've been doing this for long enough. <laughs> yeah. That they kind of leave us alone. <laughs> so That's amazing. It's... I'd say it's it's ninety percent finished. So we are in the process of doing sort of seven inch edits and Spotify edits and all of that, and choosing which are going to be the first three singles. So it's quite, you know, getting to a a, a release schedule position. Put it that way. Was it always the plan to do another <clears throat> album? Because I know you you yes. did your sort of farewell tour, but this was always the the objective. Oh yeah, we never wanted to stop making music at all. Well, we're glad to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> we are. We are very exciting. Is, do you have a rough idea of when, or should we just should we just keep well, our ear to the ground? Tentatively, album's supposed to drop in September with first single coming in March or April. That's okay. what it says on a piece of paper. <laughs> but, but we'll see what happens. Something we've also learned over the years is you you must have your ducks in a row when it's a project or, or, or album artist as, as big as Faithless with that kind of profile. I'd love to just sling music out, out. As, soon, as soon as we do it. Get we get really excited. But we need to have what what you call assets in place. The video needs to be done. The artwork needs to be signed off, and so on and so on. Annoyingly, there's a sort of um, laborious back end to putting out records <laughs> and to do it in a way that's coherent because yeah. also we're in a time where people don't listen to things for very long so if mm. you want to make an impact it it needs to be kind of right yeah as or as you wish it to be not mm. kind of half baked if that makes sense yeah i think the anticipation for a new faithless record is going to be huge but people you want to let people know that i don't know about that well. at least our fan base <laughs> might be no, excited but you've got but a huge right, fan base there has yeah. to be a prep there has to be a lead up and there has to be some kind of story because i feel we are starting from cold a little bit because mm. the last album we put out was 2015 which wow. is mad, isn't it? So that was time. our our twentieth anniversary, and we did a big remix album, yeah. two point zero, yeah. which was to be the springboard for the next thing. So we've kind of been sitting on music for quite some time, and now is the time that's appropriate to put it into the world. <sighs> looking forward to holding it. my breath <laughs> <laughs> i think that's an amazing end to what has been an amazing podcast um so we'll leave that with our audience so watch out for the album drop um thank you so much well, for thank being you with for us thank me. you very much it's really lovely to feel like there's a new tileyard family yeah yeah <laughs> welcome <laughs> people to smile at in the cafe it makes a big difference in my day i tell you <laughs> thank you The world's greatest, the best of the best The cream of the crop can learn the best Tips from the top and when you're done Come join the family Come join the team Come join the family It's music, jobs and it's D-Y-E